You're listening to Adam Air MDGED Underground Cartoon Therapy. <laughs> it's a rainy fucking day here in New York City in the Bronx. Where I'm at off of a 170 near the 4 train, if you know where the fuck that is. High in my luxury quarters. <laughs> I'm not really that high and this is no luxury. But I've been wanting to do this fucking Northeast Ohio episode for a while. Because there's a lot of enri enriched nerdery. I think I used that word at one point on some comic book episodes. And uh, there was a lot of fuckery. And a lot of cocaine and a lot of fucking drugs. There is some creepy shit I'm going to tell you about, some scary shit, some shit that you're like going to be like, what? <laughs> and just like the rest of my format that I deliver. But, like I said in the Tompkins Square Park episode, I'm going to keep it PTSD, man. And you know, this is where the origin of my PTSD starts, is right here. I figured, hey man, let's just go back. Let's just go on back. You know what I mean? Because sometimes... You just got to go back to the beginning. So welcome, welcome. <laughs> We're going to cover a fucking grip of fucking cool ass stories on this motherfucker. It's not all tragedy, but you need to hear it. The good and the bad and the fucking ugly. Motherfucker, those three things definitely came out of Ohio right here. We're going to talk about it. Mm. I went back to Ohio. <laughs> but my city was gone. My city was gone. There was no train station. There was no downtown. Mm. Where the fuck are we? All my favorite places My city had been pulled down Reduced to fucking spaces Hey ho, where'd you go, Ohio? Welcome to the Northeast fucking Ohio episode <laughs> We're gonna dive deep, motherfucker There's a lot there and there's some good stories. <laughs> you gonna hear some shit, man. I'm gonna try to cram in as much as I can. Well, I went back to Ohio. That's what she said. <laughs> Motherfucker, I hadn't even been back there for 33 years. 33 years. And you know what? When I went back, it was exactly the same. Nothing had fucking changed. Except all this shit was gone. Definitely the pride of Ohio was fucking flew the coop, man. You know, John Langley was this guy who used to work for Channel 43. I'm gonna come at him. He was a good motherfucker, man. A comedian. Worked at WMMS in Cleveland. Worked at Channel 43. Marty Sullivan. He's another guy. Another hero. Fucking Mark Mothersbaugh from fucking Devo is from Akron, dude. You guys are like, oh, all these music fans are. Well, that's not who was around when I was a kid. But Chrissy Hines right here singing this song. She definitely was. And Devo was. And the cramps even showed up in Akron, apparently. 
No shit. Monster movies, sugar cereal, cartoons. All three of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> my first 12 years of my fucking life wrapped up in Ohio. Stick around, man. Let's get this fucker rolling. This is how we're doing it. Sitting in the Bronx, thinking about Ohio. <laughs> what a blast, man. You know, for all the fucked up, crazy-ass fucking shit. I got some of the best moments I ever had out of my whole life there, man. Uh, weird thing to say for a town that fucking basically lives in the fucking commode of the armpit of fucking the shithole of existence. There ain't nothing there, dude. I don't know what LeBron James is talking about. <laughs> I don't like football anyway. Hey, you know what, man? The cool shit that does come out of these places are things you never hear about, you know? Well, first of all, my mom and dad, when they met, even though my mom was like, <laughs> pretty conservative Christian or whatever. My dad ended up taking her to an Alice Cooper show when she was five months pregnant with me. That was my very first rock show was Alice Cooper. My mom said, I couldn't believe it, he hung himself. <laughs> I'll never forget that shit. Ah, fuck. She said I was rocking out. And at that time, my mom was pregnant with twins. I was the only one that made it. I guess I took all the rock and roll for both of us, buddy. <laughs> when I was five years old, my dad was working at a few uh, different theaters, you know, because him and my mom were in this like Christian, not Christian, but it was like a AM light rock band. Chainsaw would be like, oh, it sounds like Christian music to me. <laughs> I got a good feeling. He took me to the, uh, the Lynn Theater, man, 1977, right at the end of the year. And I got to watch Devo, man, when I was like five years old. And man, they fucking blew my fucking mind. And I kept listening to Devo over the years. But that show would always be in my head. Because it was something about the way they acted, you know, on stage. It was really animated. <laughs> hey, Janie. I had a gut feeling then I was going to stick in some underground entertainment. I knew I wanted to do something like Devo. When you're a little kid, you're like, how the fuck would I ever play music like this? I don't even know how that would work out. Devo, by the time they showed that video, Whip It on MTV. <laughs> I was like, ah! I'M A FUCKING ARTIST! <laughs> you know that feeling when you remember that? Remember that feeling? Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I guess, you know, where it really starts for me are the fucking big three, you know? Not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, but, uh... Count Chocula, Frankenberry, and Booberry. <laughs> And if you guys don't know me by now, Booberry is my favorite American icon besides Skeletor and Oscar the Grouch. Here's a sample. 
a nutritious breakfast. Uh, hello, my name is Boo. <laughs> Let me finish. Booberry, my ghostly good blueberry flavored uh, cereal, Booberry, <laughs> is part of this complete breakfast. Uh, uh, you, Frankenberry's got strawberry flavored marshmallows. Cold chocolate got chocolate marshmallows. But I've got blueberry flavored marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> And Booberry's nipples are pierced in that commercial, by the way, if you didn't know that in the very first commercial. <laughs> I guess in this one commercial, my dad said when I was a kid, you know, it was Booberry, Frankenberry, and Count Chocula. They're in a choo-choo train going around a mountain. It keeps looking like they're going to fall off the mountain. My dad said I fucking freaked out, went to the TV, was trying to rescue them <laughs> from falling off that mountain when I was like a year old. Uh, they already meant the world to me, you know? These were the first of the iconic images, you know, uh, that would have, like, saturated into my uh, applicable fucking cartooning ability. I was already dealing with PTSD, man. There was a bad birth, like I said. My, my twin brother didn't make it out. My mom went into shock. I got PTSD that way already. You know, plus I had a fucking violent fucking, you know, crazy motherfucker and psychotic motherfucker, you know, as a father. You know, these guys were damaged. I always thought they were possessed by uh, Alpha Draconians. Especially when I had learned Alpha Draconians can go into your chakra systems, you know, and fucking manipulate you and shit. I guess, uh, you know, I'm going to have this Jupiter Watcher show. Those guys are called Alamalic Strat 163s. I don't want to launch into a tirade because this one's about Northeast Ohio apparently, but according to Russian Black Book, I'll leave you on this little, uh, you know, kind of, hey, here's what's coming up episode about that Jupiter shit. When Jupiter came back a second time, it was in the late uh, 50s to mid 60s. And they would have been fighting Alpha Dra the Alamaliac Strat 163, which are the Jupiter cops, is what I call them again. That's what the Watchers are, you know. They're cops. They're supposed to be protecting us. They didn't do a very good job. They fucked us over. You know, the Jupiter guys were like the last motherfucker standing. They came down here to stop the Alpha Draconian from doing all the nasty shit they're doing now, up to date, releasing viruses, pedophilia, fucking lying, you know, racism, all this crap, inspiring it, media, bullshit, breaking the country apart, psyoptic bullshit. Jupiter saw this shit, they saw what was coming, they tried to stop them, it didn't work. They tried to stop them one time 5,400 years ago in India, and then the second time would have been over the Ohio Valley. I thought it was relevant because my parents acted like they were fucking inhabited by lizard dicks after like almost overnight when I was a kid. I have no idea how to explain it. And I felt like I got inhabited by one of these Alamaliac Strat 163 watcher guys still working for the creator and that might be why I am. Because when I was a little baby I had this nightmare. I tried to tell Matt Pike about it too. Once upon a time, me and Matt Pike from sleep, you know, we were friends, you know, until he decided to become too big of a fucking drunk cocaine dick fuck and fuck me over. That's another episode too. But I tried to tell him the story about, you know, the Jupiter thing. He thought I was crazy, but the story I told him was when I was a little kid, you know, a baby, six months old, my parents, before they were twisted and taken over by some whatever black magic bullshit, you know, I I would have seen one of these Alamaliac Strat 163 guys, because part of their uh, technology is to go invisible. I only saw the torso in the corner of my room, you know, after my parents closed the door and I was laying in the crib. And, you know, they're nitrogen-based, so they glow, so that would explain why this torso was glowing. I put it all together way later on. I'm going to save it, but, you know, I felt like this thing inhabited me when I was a baby. It made me have this weird fucking nightmare where I was, 
a baby dreaming that I was seven years old trapped in a shopping mall being, you know, uh, tortured by mannequins. And then at the end, this tidal wave comes into the mall and floods all of us, you know. Um, <laughs> none of us make it out, apparently. <laughs> but the next thing I knew, I was like three or four years old and I was just like, you know, you miss all that time when you're one and two, you know, you can't remember all that shit. But I definitely remember that thing when I was six months old. That was one of my fucking first, you know, weird experiences. And kind of traumatic in a way, you know, causing more PTSD. And a lot of times PTSD can be caused by things that we just can't explain to other people, man. It just sounds too fucking far out or whatever. I get it, though, man. Because if you hear half my stories, you're like, huh? <laughs> you know, I ain't lying, though, motherfucker. I'm just like, oh, this is how it is. This is how it is. It's all right that that's how it is, dude. You know, it's all right. You're allowed to have weird stories. This whole episode's going to be fucking weird, you know? I'm going to be all over the goddamn board, man. Uh, but just stick with me. And I love you. All right. Let's... uh Finish off the baby stories by <laughs> moving from the Jupiter one to to uh, the story about Jimmy Carter, who, like in '72, is like president. You know, um, he came to Akron Square, and my parents were there to see him. You know, and all. My mom wanted to see him. My dad, not so much. My dad was pretty radical, anti-political. You know, anti-psyop shit. He already knew about it. He was a draft dodger. He already fucking knew. I don't blame him. Uh, on that end, you know, because fuck the draft and fuck the war and fuck you guys who support the war. Straight up, always and forever. I don't blame the old man for not fucking wanting to be in there, you know, but here we were at Akron Square, Jimmy Carter's, you know, meeting and greeting everybody. And he came over. I was just swaddled in a blanket and he decided to pick me up. <laughs> and he's like oh what a wonderful baby and the blanket fell off me and I was just sitting there you know fucking stripped naked and as soon as I saw him grabbing a hold of me like that I pissed all over his face and my dad fucking laughed his ass off he couldn't wait to tell me when I was old enough but I guess that's what happened you know I was already an anarchist at that point <laughs> I knew. Hey, don't don't shackle me, motherfucker. Shackle me not. All right, let's move on. Where do these roots of PTSD come from? You know, in Ohio. Somehow I remember, like, learning my neighbors and doing character studies on these guys. You had the Zooks. They lived to the right of us on Cole Avenue. <laughs> Troy and Ethel, they had kids, Eddie, Lisa, Tina. They were all bikers. I remember they getting the chain fights and shit. <laughs> Troy used to pull out my fucking loose teeth with that classic pair of dirty old biker pliers, you know? It was shit like that. Huh. And then to the left of us, you had the Christian disco swingers, Jim and Marion, always having a threesome in the name of Jesus while they did huge rails of the finest blow in Ohio. And then you had uh, the creme de la creme, Ed McIntyre. Looked like something out of an eight ball comic, hunchback grease ball. Fucking 500 pounds, he meant it, fuck. There was something wrong with this motherfucker, man. And there was really something wrong with my parents. And always leaving me and my sister over there at their house to be babysat, as opposed to Troy and Ethel. And it was only because of default, man, because, you know, Troy and Ethel were doing hardcore drugs. And they definitely weren't asking Jim and Marion anything. I think they did ask us one time, and it was a weird... It was weird to be over there, you know, I was like, huh. 
in the end, you know, Ed McIntyre, or, uh, you know, he was across the street. He adopted these two kids that had two little girls. They were the sweetest little girls, and they had Down syndrome. And Ed McIntyre and Sue McIntyre became like this couple that looked kind of good to do this thing for their kids, and da da da. My mom bought it, you know, whatever. That's not what ended up happening, you know. But before we get to that little ending, I remember like sneaking down the stairs from this weird ass room we had to sleep in upstairs in this dude's house. I remember I was like eight years old, and there's this movie called Extro, and Extro is about a father and son in the UK, and the dad gets abducted. And he comes back, and he's inside an alien that has to impregnate somebody on the planet. So this thing rapes some woman with its fucking weirdo snout and fucking impregnates this woman. And the birth happens all hardcore and fast, and this adult comes out of her and rips her womb in half right out of her vagina. I sat there and watched this fucking crazy-ass shit, amongst other crazy demented pieces that are in this movie extra if you've ever been blessed to see it oh yeah in the end you know these two little girls ended up being victimized by this pedophile fuck Ed McIntyre I remember like while I was sitting on the stairs you know and I was watching this movie this old lady being destroyed and ripped in half by a giant action figure <laughs> army man and I could see in the reflection of this mirror and Ed was picking his nose all hard and eating it one time he told on me he told my dad that I flipped him off or whatever I knew after that he was a living piece of fucking dog shit everybody else was like yeah he's a weirdo in the end Someone called the cops on him. They came to the house and Sue was sitting in a fucking shower beaten to death. And she had bondage gear on and all this shit. She was holding a whip and the whip marks were all across these little girls. And when they found Ed, he was hiding out in the room and he was wearing a dress and he had this fucked up lipstick on. It was quite a sight to see him being you know, carted out of his house via handcuffs by Son of County's finest. And all the while, you got shows like Barnaby and Superhost and all this shit playing in the background. And everything's coming right from that area. That was definitely one of the more <laughs> extreme stories that had happened there in Akron. And that I was being babysat by this guy. I'm sure my parents... Never even thought about that one, huh? To kids, it's kind of obvious, you know. I was pretty receptive in those days. I was really already paying to a lot of, paying a lot of attention to a lot of detail. Hmm. Lots of details. Of course, you had the best cartoons. In the late 70s and the early 80s, in my opinion. Uh, just the fucking best cavalcade of fucking... The greatest cartoons ever fucking made. They're too deep to go into. Maybe one day I'll have the... Saturday morning cartoon episode. But Saturday morning cartoons were definitely a fortified and militant part of my upbringing and childhood. As I was usually better off alone, didn't like going out to play these sports, wasn't into basketball, could have gave a fuck less about football and any of this other jive everybody was already into by the time I was like seven or eight. I was like, fuck all that, dude. All I want to do is draw, watch cartoons, and uh, play with toys. Definitely some Mike Diana themes going on in there, but, uh, you know, one part of the... Uh, Saturday morning 
was definitely um, not a cartoon, but rather belonged to fucking monster movies. And uh, the guy who I had the pleasure of uh, being up, up, you know, started with uh, with the movies was Superhost. <laughs> Meet mild-mannered director trainee Henry Bookerstein becomes Superhost. And with powers far beyond those of ordinary men, Superhost brings you Saturday afternoon. And now, Soup's on! <laughs> and for years, man, there was just uh, Superhost. And I remember the first monster movie I got to watch that I remember it was either son of Godzilla or it was, um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and God damn, both of those movies are just fucking brilliant. <laughs> Look at that bad theater starring. What's his name? <laughs> now we have got a simply great movie today it's a classic it really is made in 1932 in glorious black and white and it stars boris karloff as the monster uh colin clive as dr frankenstein may clark and john bowles are also in this and it's called frankenstein it's the original movie there's a picture by jim clink another one by gru murdoch <laughs> and here's the one our movie today <laughs> By the way, that's Marty Sullivan as Superhost. You know, he's doing his Superhost thing. All he did was help out the communities around Ohio for fucking years, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, he worked for Channel 43. <laughs> he was a good guy, man. He showed all the best shit. But uh, he did these skits, you know, like he would wear this blonde wig and be the moronic woman. And he did one of uh, Slim Whitman <laughs> called Fat Whitman. <laughs> and he did this famous one called uh, Convoy. And uh, that was the one that everybody knew around that area in Akron and Cleveland. Good old Marty Sullivan. You know, finally they canned his ass on this date. They gave him the Frankenstein movie, and then he left, and that was the end of it. And he closed the doors, and he like pretends to hitchhike down the street on the studio set, and that was the end of it, you know. But for years and years, man, <laughs> watch this guy. <laughs> oh God, man, just ingrained into me, man. I saw every. Important monster movie there was to see. All your universals. Weird ones, too. <laughs> but he would hang up little kids' drawings in the studio and shit. You know, this fake-ass little theater. <laughs> Aww. I remember when he was gone. How bummed out everybody was. Because <laughs> it would be super host for a while. And then you'd watch fucking... <laughs> and then you'd watch Three Stooges for the rest of the day. <laughs> that was my Uncle Jeff shit, the fucking Three Stooges. Yeah, that's it. That was the legend of Superhost. He was definitely a positive part of the whole thing. And really a hero, man. And taught me how to be a good person in a lot of ways, too. For a guy who dressed like Superman in a bum Superman costume and a clown wino red nose. <laughs> By the way, my grandma Sugar, she saw Frankenstein in the theater when it came out. And she was just a young teenager. And the church kicked her out for watching it. And told her that she was necroptic and the movie was necroptic. <laughs> and my grandma Sugar says, Well, it was a good movie. <laughs> and these are some of the positive ends of coming out of that Akron, Ohio. Oh. Good old days. <laughs> oh, God.
Every fucking Sunday, it was the same. Shitty fucking television. We could always count on going to my mom's fucking church and meeting up with my grandma and grandfather and my great-grandma. It all smelt like fucking perfume and rotten-ass shit. Ugh. The fucking smell of church and the way it smells like Ned Flanders. Fucking horrible, man. I hated going... I knew there was something wrong with it. And Reverend Gordon was this motherfucker who my mom cherished. Thought the world of this guy, right? So, you know, my dad hated it already. You know, and he had already been going through this weirdo shit. Plus, my dad was a child rapist at that time and incognito for all the anarchist literature the guy was getting into. I think he was taking it the wrong way. And I knew he was guilty of some shit. Because all he'd do is fucking be violent all the time by a certain point, you know? Trapped between my dad's violence and my mom's fucking need to go to church every Sunday. I knew my dad could see through it. But he was too busy fucking fulfilling his carnal desires on lustful levels that were sick and perverted and violating my little sister and I didn't fucking know it. Hated fucking sitting in this fucking church, man. The only redeeming bullshit about this fucking hypocritical bullshit was that I could fucking read these Archie comics and I really liked the line drawing. I really didn't pay attention to the text. I did read them, but I was like, fuck Al Hartley's fucking brainwashed ass motherfucker you know I hated it I hated fucking being there one day uh, <laughs> my mom asked my dad let's go ahead and invite Reverend Gordon over for dinner and my dad was like no way he thinks everybody that drinks a fucking beer and smokes a cigarette's going to hell I don't want to deal with that you know my mom was like insistent about it and uh, so my dad would purposefully stash the beer in the back of the fridge or whatever in a certain way, you know, so in case the guy came over. And he agreed to come over. And he fucking sat down, and this is this guy who's fire and brimstone every Sunday. You're going to hell for this. You're going to hell for that. First thing he does is ask my dad for a fucking beer. No shit. My mom just looked shocked and was like, well, isn't that... Well, I mean, uh, uh-huh. Like the rest of these Christians. Oh, well, uh, duh, duh, duh. I feel bad for these motherfuckers, man. I can't even stand Christians. And I work for Yeshua, and I work for the creator of all. And never once have they fucking ever talked about any of this Christian-ass shit. Fucking contaminated motherfuckers. You fucking religious fucking dicks or abusive motherfuckers. Muslims, you're abusive as fuck. Christians, you're abusive as fuck. Catholics, you're abusive as fuck. Buddhists, you're abusive as fuck. All your shit's covered with blood. Fuck you guys. That's how I fucking see it. One day when I was about seven years old, and my mom had been already avid about sending us out church trips all the fucking time, dealing with this fucking hypocritical, blasphemous, blothy bullshit. I don't know what's worse, too, you Christian fucking dicks or motherfuckers from my punk rock tribe who automatically accuse me of being religious and don't know the difference between religious and spiritual at all. I don't know what's worse, you guys or them or both of y'all can go fucking take a flying fucking leap off a fuck-off cliff. You know, it's bullshit, man. Yeah, man, the guy asked for a fucking beer. <laughs> you know what happened was, I looked in the mirror one day, and I was seven years old. All my spirituality seems to come around when I was seven. I broke this thing, you know. My dad and my grandfather decided to go ahead and drink. They'd be reading these scriptures and shit. They be getting deep in the spirit. It didn't hear it didn't sound the same. It didn't sound the same as this hypocritical fucking bullshit satanic crap coming out of the Christian church. 
it sounded like it had some truth in it. I think that's what we're all wanting. I just saw it at a young age. My dad was all combing my hair, you know, I was seven years old. <laughs> this was right before he fucking started doing this. He hadn't been fucking being a pedophile yet. He was about to be. And I think I broke something in his brain this day, and he was like combing my hair. And I was looking at him intensely in the eyes, and he goes, what? And I said, why do we go to church? He's like, I don't know, to learn about love. And I was like, yeah, but doesn't love teach love? And I fucking blew his mind or some shit. He was looking at me like, huh. And I remember that's when he started to drift. His faith was already shitty. He knew there was something else. He was already reading fucking archaic literature. Much like the shit I got into, man. Like I said, I decided to go ahead and hunt pedophiles because the FBI and the police are pussies and fucking condone the shit and they are the pedophiles. They don't give a fuck. They'll let a pedophile fucking walk. Just like they let my old man walk. <laughs> fuck them. You guys are fucking cunts. The only thing you give a fuck, FBI, is fucking hunting down fucking people violating on their precious social media platforms. But you go fuck yourself, hairdos. Anyway, my dad suffered greatly. You know? My mom wanted to keep pressing the church. My dad finally was like, I'm not going anymore. And so my mom would just force me and my sister to go. And he, she was more stressful as the days went by. And I remember having this coloring book, you know. <laughs> it was Jesus coloring book. And I had this blue crayon. Man, I decided I'm just going to draw a fucking 18-inch fucking erection on this fucking Jesus. Since everything I fucking see from this motherfucker is just fucking... <laughs> it's just fucking, you know... Pornography anyway, right? Straight pornography. Some weird sexual Freudian bullshit to it all, you know? And I could kind of see it. My mom wanting to be a normal person, but feeling restricted by the bounds. Which were already violated in front of her repeatedly by her own family. They couldn't respect the word if they wanted to. They were all fucking hypocrites. There was good elements of all and everyone, you know, but that whole church thing, <laughs> medieval bullshit, man, Catholic Inquisition ass shit, you know, torture chamber shit, you know. My mom, she freaked out when she saw that little fucking, when she saw that little fucking uh, hard on I drew with this crayon on it. Oh my god, I'm gonna rip your goddamn eyes out! That was one of her famous lines. Finally, man, you know, she went crazy in the end. You know? She ended up in a goddamn lunatic bin after this one particular instance happened where Reverend Gordon was administrating classes to old people to get them scheduled in, you know, before their dying day and make sure there's nothing that they haven't repented for, you know? <laughs> Reverend Gordon was counseling some old lady everybody knew, you know? And then Reverend Gordon's old lady ended up walking in on <laughs> Walking in on him, and Reverend Gordon was hailing Jesus the Almighty, you know, with his dick up this old bitch's ass. Oh, uh, man, you know, Reverend Gordon's old lady couldn't wait to tell everybody about this shit. It was like a hole in her pocket. It was like money burning a hole in a fucking spendy motherfucker's pocket. She couldn't wait. Reverend Gordon killed himself. And the church closed down. My mom went insane. And for like a good two years, I got to ride out to the old country and see her getting electric shock therapy. Via my dad driving disgruntled. Mind you, still raping my sister. I was getting beat. It was ritual. And uh, 
all this PTSD dreamery had been spawned from it all. The spawn of fucking habitual Christian slash satanic abuse. <laughs> the hypocrisy of it all. If you're going through anything like that, guys, you're not alone. That's why I made myself vulnerable and told you this shit. And it doesn't end there, man. But that was definitely one quarter of the fucking abuse, right? Spawned out of this cheapo Christian bullshit. Now my son's affiliated with it, right? I told him, don't fucking charge money to talk to my boss, motherfucker. You get a job at 7-Eleven or Domino's or go sell vacuums fucking door-to-door, you know? Go get a real fucking job. Construction. (laughs) You know? I've had to do all this shit. Warehouse work, construction, building shit. But, you know, the minute you start charging people to access spirituality, you become religious and you're a contaminated fucking dick. Definitely one of the saving fucking graces of my childhood was WMMS, man. Holy shit, dude, I don't know what the fuck I'd do without those guys getting me through a lot of this crap in the morning, but somehow I uh, was able to rely on them, you know? Jeff Kinsbach here along with the entire crew, ready to go up to Pat Brady in the Buzzard Skyway Patrol. I'll get that one on now, what? Good morning, you're on the air, hello. Who is this? Who's this? Hello? Who is this? Who is this? Well, who is... It's me, Mr. Leonard. This is Jeff Kinsbach. Who's this? Oh, it's me. Let's stop going through that again. Okay. What are you... All right. Now, what's the problem? Mr. Leonard, are you okay? Right. Before I get to that, I wanted to mention something about what you guys were talking about, the, uh, that antidepressant. Oh, the antidepressant drug that causes you to, um... Yeah, every time you yawn. Right, yeah. Right, right. Well, it's incredible. Lonetta and I have been taking that for the last two weeks. You're kidding me. Right. I get fainting spells every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) But does it cause you to have a... Well, I have to lay down 15 minutes after I take it, but first I have a cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Lonetta... He hasn't had a headache in two weeks. <laughs> First time. So what? Uh, I've been sleeping a lot. Is that why you haven't made it in here? No, no, that's not the problem. <coughs> right, the problem is, is yesterday I was out playing golf. What? Oh, and that's why you're not coming to work today? Well, it's a long story. Well, lay it on us. All right, well, you know, yesterday, of course, I didn't really realize it was going to rain. Sure, it's been raining in the past. I thought maybe some sunshine today. So, <laughs> of course, after I got off of work, I uh, went over to my favorite golf course. It's right over there off the highway. And I just, I went did nine holes, that's all. Nine holes yesterday? Right. It was cold and crummy, and you're right. out golfing. I'm a golf nut. Well, how'd you do? Well, I got a palm, a birdie, and two ducks. (laughs) 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 But the two duck balls I hit yesterday, I guess, is when I stepped on that rake. ass shit they tell these goddamn jokes in the morning the token jokes in the morning you know just a good old time man just one of those mellow things that happen thank you wmms for fucking helping me stay sane on some fucking level man cheers to y'all there is something wrong with me already too man you know i haven't heard too many twin stories and shit but i can guess like you know the kind of Subliminal deprivation I had being away from my other half. I guess I still feel it. I mean, I draw it in my comics. I'm TMC Air. That's my name in there. And then my twin brother's name would be Ajax Air. 
that's in the comics, of course, you know, but TMC's way more mellow than I am, man. He does drugs cooler than I do. He travels time more than I do. He's everything I wanted to be. Maybe I touched it a little bit when I was 21. But I ended up being the angrier version. You know, TMC was everything cool I wanted to be and all this processed coolness. And I still draw them that way to this day with these, with this fucking rabbit ear, black rabbit ear hat on. And his three little hoops that looked like the fucking Olympic symbol <laughs> hanging out of his nose. You know, he's always got a bottle of Robitussin. Oh, man. I remember uh, getting pushed into fights. And I remember by the time I was like in sixth grade or whatever, I kind of made a pact with myself not to get into fights anymore because the couple I did get in were pretty violent when I was a kid. And, you know, if I had been an adult, I would have been prosecuted for whatever. The one was like, remember the Zooks I was talking about back few minutes ago and you know Troy and Ethel were going through this fucking messy ass fucking separation because Ethel found love in another guy's arms and Troy wasn't having it Troy ended up having a heart attack and dying because of it you know right after that you know that guy moved in who she was already having the affair with there was no time between it and uh you know the guy did this mason brick shit you know it was me and this uh, kid named Jason. And uh, he uh, was a violent little fucker. Spoiled little shit. You know, Sonny was like, don't play in the back of that truck. You're going to get hurt. You know, we were playing this monsters, destroying the city, you know, this shit like that. I liked the whole thing where we weren't... Uh, heading towards each other or whatever, but he decided to go ahead and pick up this fucking rock and, uh, and break my fucking leg with it. You know, he broke it in half. I remember the pain and it was unnecessary. He knew he fucked up. I just went ahead and picked up this Mason brick and I fucking wiped his face with it. And this jagged-edged rock, you know, and it ripped all the skin off of his face. He looked like he fucking... He looked like something out of fucking Three from Hell when they carved that fat bitch up, you know, in the tree or whatever and take her face off or any of this, uh... Any of the face-peeling scenes you ever saw. It looked just like that. Clive Barker as fuck. It happened another time... You know, in school, and it was like this uh, big old Italian kid, and he kept fucking with me, man. You know, he was like three times bigger than me. We were in the same grade. And uh, he decided to take a dodgeball and just fucking pound me with it. And I turned around and I palm-faced his fucking face, and uh, it pushed his nose in. They had to fucking operate on his ass and get his nose out of there. I think that kind of changed it. I thought, like, you know, a couple other kids saw that shit, too, and they were like, oh, well, he thinks he's fucking this and that. I want to take his ass. And I was just always hanging out. I never hung out with white kids, man. The only white kids I had was Terry Shape and uh, Charles Cernick. Those guys were my friends, you know. But I, I didn't like hanging out with the white kids. I was always hanging out with the black dudes and... Most of the time, they liked to read Hustler back then in, like, fifth, sixth grade. I was into it. I liked pussy already. Didn't help my dad was always talking about it, you know. But uh, I remember this white kid got pissed off because, you know, a lot of white fucks, they don't like seeing black or whites that are comfortable hanging out with black people. They don't like seeing that shit. This guy was that fucking classic yokel fuck. Came up from behind me, pulled a dirty move, you know, popped me in the nose, got me bleeding. I fucking popped him and he started bleeding. It was on. And then I heard the creator come in my head and he goes, nope, stop right now. You'll kill him. And he was like, come on, come on, man. 
And I must have looked like this big old pussy. I fucking just threw my hands in the air and just fucking kind of went and, bre- and breathed deep and walked out of the classroom and I could hear all the kids laughing. But that was the first time I chose to listen to the creator and and, and be at peace and be peaceful. And I must have been like 11. Must have been like 11 years old or some shit. You know. That's my short history of fights in Ohio. It's like three or four of them, man. I had to fight a German Shepherd one time, too, that was taller than me because he was attacking my sister. And I had to punch the dog in the face. You know, I was like 10 years old. But it got the dog off my sister because it was trying to mount her and all this other shit, unfortunately. She had trauma from that shit, man. She had some accidents, plus whatever my dad was doing. That was fucking up, you know. She turned out to be a cold, yuppie bitch. I know she had kind of a heart for a minute, but not really. I guess this is what happens. I got my own anger issues I deal with and how I process it. So, you know, I ain't no better than her, but at least I'm not a fucking yuppie. Fucking accidents were plenty when I was a kid. I've broken almost every bone in my body. Either my dad did it, I got in an accident, roughhousing, being a dick, punk rock, breaking into shit, all kinds of crap. Broke my pinky, deteriorated the muscle in my, the pinky on my left hand. It just looks like a fucking broken piece of wood hanging off otherwise my okay hand there. And I got that from babysitting. <laughs> That's another episode, maybe. <laughs> anyway, true story. And that involves Mark Hostler from Negative Land, too. <laughs> I got some fucking stories. Anyway, man, uh, in this little accidents part. All right, let's run through accidents, man. I think the, the ones that stick out in my head the most are... Uh, there was this old picnic table. I was just telling Chaney the story too, but uh, there was this old picnic table. I love the fuck out of it, man. I'd be sitting there on it. One time I got a splinter in my ass and Sonny Potts crossed the way there's Ethel Zook's uh, new love. Had to come and remove it from my ass. <laughs> this big old chunk of wood. One time on the same table, uh, I had jumped off of it, you know, being, you know, the Hulk or whatever Spider-Man superhero of the day. Got inspired that day to go be a superhero and jump off the picnic table. And when I landed on on the ground, there was a board there that was equally uh, lengthed out with a nail coming out uh, two times on this board. And one nail went center through my uh, left foot and the other went center through my right foot. And I remember just my eyes obviously swelled up and shit. These big old rusty nails coming through my fucking feet. <laughs> oh, God. Blood all everywhere. My mom came out and was like, Oh, my God. Oh, God. Oh, my God. And fainted. And Dr. Mitzel was our town doctor in Barberton. I guess it was my mom's doctor when she was a kid. She just, and he was a nice guy, whatever. Uh... I saw that guy repeatedly, man, (laughs) reading those old highlights magazines and reading those old dynamite magazines in the, uh, in the waiting room. And I remember them being brand new at that time. Um, they successfully removed the nails from my feet. Nonetheless. (laughs) Oh God. I remember I was, uh, there was some, I broke my leg hauling wood with my grandma out in Canal Fulton. And Canal Fulton's out in the country away from Ohio near Clinton. And then my mom's mom lived out there and my dad's mom lived out down the road from him, not far. Everybody kind of just lived close together. And then uh, I think the weird one was uh, me and my sister were playing doctor, but not in that John Waters way doctor, you know, but... um, you know, uh, just with these fake ass, uh, Dr. Fisher price tools, you know, kit, Dr. Kit shit, you know, it's all safe for kids to play with or whatever. Somehow my sister had a piece of fabric softener and she stuck it up my nose and 
you know, we were just, we just kept on playing. I didn't think about it. <clears throat> and I remember kind of shoving it all the way up my nose and then making my sister laugh or something about it, you know, and I just kind of forgot about it and it was just there. I think it was about a week later, you know, and uh, I blacked out. And my mom was like, what the fuck, you know, and took me to Dr. Mitzel and I guess they had to do that total recall thing. Not the remake of the movie, but the original one, you know, where they have to stick that fucking thing up that dude's nose and pull that probe out. That's kind of what happened to me, but instead they pulled out this fucking slimy green weirdo covered sheet. <laughs> this thing's obviously been saturating around my brain directly onto it. Oh, God. <laughs> I remember they pulled it out. It was this fucking big old. It was a still the size of a fabric sheet or whatever. But fucking, when they pulled it out, it was so fucking green and disgusting looking. And then it was slimy. And then it was it was it smelled so bad. And I remember Doctor Mitzel had to go throw up. And he's like, "I'll be right back." <laughs> you know, and fucking, you could hear people all, "Oh God!" All up on the ward. <laughs> oh, the humanity. Oh, man. There were some violent ones, too. You know, a lot of the time, it was just my dad breaking my bones. I hate to say it that way, man. It's the truth. I'm never going to fucking get it directly to you unless I'm fucking direct about it. The guy was just violent. I ended up breaking a Netcha sketch over his head one time and got all that gray dust on his ass. He didn't like that. One time, my stepdad fucking tried to fuck with me and I thought he thought he was going to bang my head against this dryer. It's like my mom left my dad and got remarried to some other dick. <laughs> and I remember putting that guy's arm behind his back and threatening to break his fucking arm or whatever. I did fight him at one point and I fucking beat his ass with these heavy metal rings I had. If you remember those heavy metal rings back in the day, like solid steel, you know, spikes coming out of them. You got the motorhead one. You got the corrosion of conformity looking one. Yeah, these like, you know, all kinds of spike motherfuckers and weird skulls. And he came at me again. But I remember that first time I put that arm behind his back and I was going to break it. And I said, only my real dad gets to ever touch me. Don't you fucking forget that, you fat, miserable little fuck. And he just kind of sweated. I saw the sweat come out of the side of his uh, face, and that was his... You got to know when to say when. You know, I was like 13, 14. I was like 13 years old. I thought I had just lost Tim Simpson in North Carolina, and now I was in Florida, you know. But back then in the Northeast Ohio days, you know, that's when all that bone breaking and violence, all that shit, you know, crazy ass violence. It's a lot to deprogram, man. They want you that way, though, guys. So they can fill their little institutions with you. And then they got your ass because they were able to break you. And now you're their fucking slave after they broke you. And no one was there for you. I tell you this, man. The, the entity, the cr creator, my boss that I work for, you know. Motherfucker's open, man. The only way, the only thing I can tell you is don't look, don't look through earth pain to find him like that. Try to put all that into the void and... It takes a while to do that. That's hard to explain. It's hard to let go of all this flashback shit. Motherfuckers hurting you all your life. You got complex post-traumatic stress disorder. They did this to you, you know? It's not your fucking fault. Very few friends will not leave you because of it. Very few people will stick by you through it. Even if they're good people, they're, you know, they're not doctors, man. And you know what? That's another hard one for people like you and I to have to understand, too. But accidents can definitely cause post-traumatic stress, whether they're accidental or they're, you know, 
purposefully inflicted on you. You know, at one point my dad was all, you know, beating me up so bad. I came to school one day and Mr. Sheets was my guidance counselor in elementary school. I was like in fifth grade, came to school with a black eye. That was getting more common as the days went by. They knew it. Mr. Sheets played off of it. He decided to go ahead and uh, make me have to tell him who was doing this. He knew who it was. He knew, man, you know. I had to go through the whole fucking hoops. I finally was scared to death, and I had to tell him in any way. After he was threatening me and to take me from my parents. I didn't want to be away from my parents, even though they were evil. <laughs> you know, Still didn't want to be away from home. No, no kid wants that. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, eventually I told, I confided in him. And that motherfucker went and told my parents. And that was a special night of fucking getting beat all night because of it. And my mom, she'd get this thing because she was getting beat. You know, she wanted me to get beat. She knew I would. He did. He never touched my sister. It was just one time. I purposely fucking... In. She had done something, uh, you know, wrong to me. But I fucking pushed that shit, man, until my dad did beat her ass. So I did have my one moment. And then when I felt it, I was like, no, we're gonna... I can see how addicted that can be. I saw it as a kid. That's what happened to my dad. My, you know, his dad beat his brother who came from another mom who was beating on my grandfather. And then by the time my grandfather married, you know, Sugar, you know, they had their first kid together was my dad. So they favored the fuck out of my dad, but the, his old man would beat the fuck out of t my Uncle Terry, who ended up turning around and beating his wife. You know, this wheel of shit. Fucking violence. Hard to talk about. Accidents, huh? Quote unquote accidents. Hey man, you're not alone. You know, my mom was addicted to getting me beat. Yeah, I went back to school, man. Mr. Sheets saw me. <laughs> he didn't say a fucking word to me, man. I had a brand new black eye. And back then, they were still administrating fucking corporal punishment, too. You got spanked with this big old paddle. I fucking hated it. I'd scream and cry all loud. The whole school could hear me. Don't fucking touch me! <laughs> I wasn't... I hated it. I felt like Nazi tactics I was grown up under. So right there, there's another half of the PTSD. As we take one multiple trauma at a time... The whole episode's not about trauma, but it's there. And now I'm going to talk about my Uncle Jeff, so hold on a second. This is the last part of this Northeast Ohio episode. I know some of this shit's got to have triggered your ass. That's kind of the point, man, in a way. Not to do it purposefully, but to let you know you're not alone. I'm sure it did. But I'm sure now you know that we're friends. And I'm your fucking buddy. And I'm going to keep making this shit. Sorry if you don't like my mouth so much cussing and stuff. I'm just a cusser. I'm not going to apologize for cussing, but... Sorry if it does offend you or shock you a little. Maybe you think it's not necessary. Well, that's your opinion. Aunts and uncles, you know, when I was a kid... I liked a lot of them, man. You know, they had their all special values and shit, but if you go back to the rock and roll show, you'll hear this one about my Uncle Jeff. You know, the part I didn't really bring up was, you know, even though he was this biker guy and we had some adventures and shit, you know, stole a few cars. Got to meet Evil Knievel, who was dating uh, his one guy who was in his uh, motorcycle gang or whatever, the Center Road Rats. His name was Gary. And him and Miller were friends with Evil Knievel. And then Gary, you know, knew Evil's daughter or whatever, you know. And they were all friends. And I remember them coming over and just having beer. And 
my uncle didn't really make a big deal about it, but yeah, fucking evil can evil. You know, there was these nights I'd be spending the night there, especially during the winter. And my uncle had that weird Tourette's thing, and he'd always say, no, at the end of everything. <laughs> I remember him waking me up at 3 in the morning. Hey, wake up, no. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, shit. But I knew what was going on. I remember the first, very first few times he woke me up, I had no idea what the fuck he was doing. I remember, like, wandering outside at 3 in the morning. I'm like, what's going on? And then as I, uh, after a, f- a few times, you know, you're like, oh, okay. And you look forward to that stuff of him waking you up at 3 in the morning and sitting in this car until 6.30 or 7 in the morning, you know, and listening to this old-ass Delta Blues station, man, that was coming out of Cleveland, Ohio, and this juke joint shit, man, you know, off this AM radio. He'd pull out this little flask, and I'd take a little shot and listen to this right here. Sitting in this cold ass car. (laughs) He'd wake me up pretty much at three in the morning, two in the morning. We'd sit there for three or four hours, man. Freezing outside, I'm in my pajamas. (laughs) I'll never trade those days for anything. It was a soft spot in my childhood. Even though there was a little liquor involved, it was still this innocent time period. I want to thank you for uh, joining me today. And if you're feeling all fucking triggered out, first of all, fucking breathe. Take some breathes into your fucking nose and out your mouth. Do that three times before you make any move. Especially if you're triggered and you know it. And you can put any kind of concentration in that motherfucker. Do it, man. It takes work. You're not alone. I go to this little soft spot right here. And you're welcome to join me and my uncle. (laughs) Sitting here listening to this old blues station. Mm -hmm. And relax. You don't have to have a drink. Don't worry about it. I don't drink either. No more flask here in the future, but back then, <laughs> that was a different story. Thank you for tuning in here in Podzine land. <laughs> you guys take care of yourself, man. Mm-hmm. Do something good for yourself. All right. Love y'all. Join me next time. You've been listening to Adam Air MD GED. Underground Cartoon Therapy.